Out of the 94 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. The episode gets started in just a second. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast where us four backlog boys go through all of the best pictures in random order, completely random. We are governed by forces out of our control on which movies we watch and win. But out of all those movies, we're trying to figure out which one of them, the single, the single film, is the very best. That's the name of the game here, the name of the show, The Quest for the Bestest. My name is Timo, joined, of course, by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram, my dutiful hosts. And today... We are going back to the past to talk about Casablanca. Man, this is quite a film. It's widely regarded. It's one of the films of all time. Yeah. So true. It, it, you know, 1942, middle of World War II. I think we're going to get into it and talk about all kinds of elements within this film. But first, just one, well, maybe one, maybe two. We'll see. Maybe even three little bits of housekeeping Last week, we wrapped up our discussion of the 2022 Oscars with the CODA post-Oscars discussion because that film got added to our list. And if you're curious where, CODA went at place number 18 with a fairly high score of 8.7. We had a fun little discussion about breaking a four-way tie on that one. Yeah. But there you have it. The newest film added to the list Coda at place number 18. Welcome. Welcome aboard, I guess, is all I have to say to the to the filmmakers that made it. Congratulations on the win. Um, and now I'm going to hand it off to Tanner, who I believe has our featured comment, and then we can dive in and talk about O Casablanca. Yes, of course. We have frequent commenter John Tour 11 uh, on our Coda Best Picture winner uh, special follow-up episode. He said, Sometimes I think it's just all about timing. After the two pandemic years we've had, I think people were just fed up and wanted something feel good. Maybe Coda wouldn't have won three or four years ago, but here we are and the timing was just perfect. I usually don't rate feel good movies that high, but this year was different and it was my favorite. Like I said before, the power of the dog was co- was cold, but Coda had all the warmth we needed. I'll stick with my original ranking, nine out of 10. Excited for Casablanca, haven't seen it. Well, John Tour 11, I hope you watched it because we all did. And we're all- you did your homework. Uh, we're all rearing to talk about it. Am I right, fellas? I am. At the bit. I'm, I am chomping at the bit. I love this movie. I'm going to just throw it out there. But loving this movie and talking about it on Quest are possibly two separate things. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, and I think without further ado, should we go around the horn and give our initial yeah. thoughts on this film? Yes. <clears throat> uh, first, I just want to say this is my third time seeing Casablanca. Uh, it's one of those movies that just exists in the upper echelon. And I think it's interesting to get to every once in a while, one of these films that both won Best Picture and is remembered as one of the great films. And and I think to some degree, deservedly so. I think this is a very good movie. I think it's the uh, epitome of a lot of classic Hollywood stylings. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with Casablanca, which I don't think is necessarily a hot take, but I don't think it necessarily pulls a spark in me personally mm. to remember anything particularly large about it or to put it super high on my list. But that doesn't mean my score is going to be low at all. I think this is a great movie all around. Um, I just, you know, the the world has pa- moved past the need for Casablanca. <laughs> oh no! Oh. Uh, well, Tucker, I I disagree. I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a fine take, but um, I think Casablanca is, is really great, and obviously it lives up to a lot of the a lot of the status that it has in the modern era. Um, this is my second time watching it. Uh, maybe this is, yeah, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is colored by the first time I watched it, watching it in the historic Paramount Theater in Austin, Texas, uh, surrounded by uh, various other film lovers, uh, who are all, you know, cracking up at the jokes and stuff like that. Um, and watching it this time, I think, you know, it's, it's just as solid. I mean, we'll get into our, our various other thoughts on it, but, um, I think this is, you know, pretty close to a perfect movie. Um, maybe it is just that iconic status as, as one of the movies of all time, as Tucker said, but I think that, um, you know, just looking back on it, the romance is really strong. You have stars like Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman turning in great performances. Uh, all the bit characters are super interesting and very well acted. And, uh, you know, they, they deliver, they're each memorable in their own little way. 
Um, and it, Casablanca has one of my favorite movie scenes of all time, which I'm sure we will get to in time. But yes, still very much love Casablanca. Let to make sure to bring that up. I just, I wanted to make sure, because I don't know which one you're talking about. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Abram, do you want to go or, or, yeah. or I think you want to go. You go. I do want to go. I was recording with Tucker the other day, but some gaming nonsense. So the highbrow yeah. viewers of Quest of the Bestest won't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards he goes, he goes, Abram. I've been talking to Tanner, and I think you're either going to love Casablanca or hate Casablanca. There's no world in which Abram thinks that Casablanca is some degree of just okay. And I kind of think it's just some degree of okay. I, I, I like the movie. Um, I, I think Casablanca is pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere, I feel like I can take parts of what Tanner said and parts of what Tucker said and kind of stitch them together into my thoughts. I would agree that this film feels largely flawless now i don't really care that it is casablanca i don't really mm-hmm. care that it's humphrey bogart i don't really feel any kind of reverence when i watch it um maybe it's because i was also lying about eating a pop tart with one earbud <laughs> and listening to the movie so <laughs> i think that's the way that uh oh god i can't remember the director's michael name curtis. My, i think it's the way michael curtis uh would want it to be watched in a lot of ways it might be curtis i don't know yeah, curtis probably yeah but the thing about it is, I think it, first of all, it's very well acted. And I think mm-hmm. the script is quite impressive. I think the script, in my opinion, is the strongest aspect of the film. But it it feels very subdued to me, which which I think is intentional because it's all about the characters and interpersonal relationships. But, like, when something happens, I'm like, the movie is happening. <laughs> like, when the, when, when the plot with, with the um, exit visa starts to get moving, and it's actually really in about the last 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, it's time for the next plot beat. And that excited me because while I enjoy this sort of just conversational tone of the film, I want a little bit, more, little bit more vigor or maybe just a little bit more style because there's one shot in particular in this film when you see Humphrey Bogart opening a safe and he's only shown in shadow on the wall. Mm. And if I had a oh, train whistle, a if I had a train whistle, I would have blown it in excitement because that's one of the coolest <laughs> shot, uh, shots I've ever seen. But I don't feel like the entire film lives up to that sort of sense of style. Mm. So in the end, I think it's really well acted and really well written. But I guess it just, I was like, yeah, there it is. That's Casablanca. I don't know what else I expected. Sure, yeah. Okay. Well, for me, Casablanca kind of epitomizes everything that I really like and really love about classical Hollywood films. It's like, it's got it all. It's got the Vaseline on the lens. It's got the mm-hmm. crazy sets. And and I think it's got this like super solid, just like classic Hollywood story that that I think you're right, Abram, that the, the script really carries it through, but I really I really care about all these characters. I want to see them. I think I've seen this film like six times or something crazy like that. So, oh man, I'm look at me. Now your now. rookie numbers. <laughs> and so I know I, I know all the lines and all the moments and like, oh, we go, we know we go to some other, some new scene and I'm like, oh yeah, I love this character and stuff like that. Cause I feel like I do as the film nerd bro guy that I am, I do have reverence for Humphrey Bogart and I do and I am like, ah, it's Casablanca. It's this movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I see I, I, I see it. I've seen it a number of times at the Paramount Theater where Tanner was talking about. And that mm-hmm. is a very special occasion. They usually play it to mark the beginning of the summer film series of the, when they're showing all these films over the summer. So it's like, ah, the beginning. It feels it's always like a fresh feeling to me when I'm watching the film, which is interesting given its age. But mm. by and large, big fan, and um, I I don't really have like a huge amount of negative stuff to talk about it either. Really, I just think it's a fun, good time to watch. Yeah, I, I want to make it clear. I don't have anything particularly large and negative to say about Casablanca. My one, I, I took notes during this movie, which I actually have not been for the last few. Like I just didn't wasn't writing down things down. But I only have one negative point, and it's a very light one. It's that Sam and Rick's relationship friendship is a little bit off color uh you yeah. know like what uh, 80 years later uh in which he just is his like servant um but they have a friendship and he just like does whatever rick says all the time and it's like okay all right but like that's a very small part of the movie i think they're both good characters they have a good dynamic but it's just like that one element's like all right a little bit strange uh, in retrospect yeah see i i don't know if i felt that way because i i think what makes this movie compelling is this sort of the sort of unraveling of who Rick is, really. Sure. I, I think that's compelling. And and it seems like he really cares for Sam in, in a way that moves beyond, I think, the, you know, the the old-timey... The, the white guy's got the, got the black guy who plays his piano, right? Like, yeah. I, I like I like the quips about... We, we see um, when he's talking to... 
the guy who who runs all the the black market dealings in Casablanca, and he's like, and you're gonna you're gonna buy my bar, and you're gonna keep Sam, and he gets twenty five percent of the profits, and he says something to the effect of, oh, I know it's only ten percent, but Sam's great. We all love Sam. It's 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 twenty five, and so I actually kind of like that relationship, and all, all kind of all the relationships and the ways that we tacitly. I think the film is not as subtle as maybe it wants to be, but mm. the ways we sort of become informed about who Rick is, how he deals with people, that I think is at the core of the movie for me. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. it's really, it shows, it has this very well done characterization. I think you're right. It's not super subtle. I mean, there are lines where it's like, oh, gee, Rick, I mean, you you fought against the, the fascists in Spain. Like, why do you hate the Nazis so much? And you're like, man, I, I can't put those two things together at all. <laughs> but like, I don't really mind. It's, it's Holly, it's just like, is these extremely mass appeal stories, you know, the, the, knowing the context, at least a little bit of how Hollywood was making films in 42 means that they didn't care about, they were not trying to exclude anybody. They wanted everyone who saw it to understand it at all levels, really. And so I'm like, okay, the fact that we don't get all that information at the beginning and that it's interspersed throughout in creative and, and seems legitimate, not le like illegitimate, but seems like, it fits, Natural. it's logical in the story of when we learn about elements of Rick's person. I mm. like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Humphrey, Bro Humphrey Bogart is great. Um, and usually on- We all we, all hum we, we heart Humpgart as well. As we're gonna get shirts, matching shirts that say we heart Humpgart. That's the first uh, piece of BLB merch, we heart, we heart Humpgart. Yes, uh, but I think he's great. Uh, a lot of times I find myself, you know, maybe a little distanced from these, you know, classical Hollywood uh, leading male performances that because they all feel very samey, they're all very wooden, they're all trying to be the, the same guy, essentially, I feel. You know, there's a, we don't get a lot of um, male weakness uh, from, from our, from, or any weakness at all from uh, main characters like that. I mean, obviously you have icons that stand out like your Cary Grants and your Jimmy Stewart's who are just so prolific in their careers that they, that they stand out. Um, but I think that, uh, Humpgart's Humpgart's <laughs> oh Humpgart's performance as Rick is singularly interesting because uh, it is very much about him reconciling with this sort of, if you want to draw very draw very clear ties back to uh, the thematic uh, plotline of this film, the isolationist uh, sort of mentality that Rick has as the repeated line that he has, "I don't stick my neck out for nobody," mm -hmm. and uh, you know. Um, just, just distancing himself from the heartbreak that he endured back in Paris. Isolationism, distancing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tanner, yeah, so do you think... I wonder what I wonder what Casablanca could be saying. Yeah, what is think... the message <clears throat> of this? Do you think that the one one American man in Europe in the midst of World War II who might have an isolationist tendency might be a sort of sort of <laughs> allegory for something happening at the time? Well, hang on a second, guys. Now, if I if I cast my mind back to 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 the 1940s, I I seem to remember that the America, a uh, United States, wasn't crazy about getting involved in World War II uh, up until up until a certain you know Pearl Harbor happened. Uh, a certain and, Pearl Harbor. Uh, but you know, the, obviously, this movie. Came out 1942, same year as Pearl Harbor, which is a very interesting timing, uh, all things considered, looking back. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're dancing around it to be like little funny guys. But this, the, the film uh, very clearly has a message of America should get involved in, the, in, in World War II because it is the right thing to do. And look how uh, the Nazis are sort of imposing this tyrannical rule, uh, not only in Germany and Europe, but also stretching out uh, the world over. Um, I do like... And we're, we're sort of moving away from Rick, who I think we should get back to at a certain point. But that just made me think of, I do like how um, all of our Nazi characters are characterized in this insidious sort of way. And they have these offhanded lines that are quite sinister uh, when, you, when you think about them for a second. Like, one of the first ones we get is um, from some nondescript Nazi captain. Um, he probably has a name. But uh, he says, it's a character makes a line about the weather. And uh, one of the Nazi officers says, oh, we, we Germans must get used to all, all sorts of climates. You know, the, the, just this line that sort of um, underlines the fact that uh, all, all these guys are like, yeah, we're, we're like taking over the world. We're going to take over every territory and climate and, and region that we can. And I think there's multiple lines that sort of um, underline that. But yeah, uh, should be talking about Rick because I feel like that's sort of the note that we started out on here. Well, yeah. If I 
I think we can actually kind of draw in some of the some of the Nazi figures into sort of the conversation about Rick because it is who is the main Nazi captain who we become friends with with the R name. Oh, Renault. Renault is not a Nazi. Renault is not a Nazi, but he's you're, a you're Frenchman. Of, he's a right. French yeah. policeman. Yeah, 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 yeah. French yeah. policeman. Sorry. Right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. I knew that was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I'm a big fan of the film. Abram likes an old movie, mm-hmm. Battle, the Battle of Algiers, and oh, something that I find compelling are, are these sort of relationships between people on different sides coming together under an air of neutrality. So we have their relationship. And then the guys who are definitely Third Reich because they never stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. The, the ways we have these, these scenes of implicit tension, but we're in neutral um, Casablanca. The way everyone comes together and we have these sort of Battle of Algiers type relationships where in a different context, these people just want to kill each other. And, mm-hmm. and that happens at the end of the movie. But yeah. but watching that play out, I think, is so interesting. And, and, and I think where the script and, and Rick and his performance and sort of his characterization are firing at the strongest. Yeah, I think that all of this funnels down to not just Rick, but the the air that Casablanca itself has, and especially uh, Rick's uh, Cafe Americana. Mm-hmm. Uh, American, I think, is, you know, that, that's yeah. the classic name of his thing. But uh, he the, the place that has been set up here of... This is the neutral zone, but the French are here, but they're sort of following the Germans' rules, and Rick, like, they, everyone knows Rick, so Rick can kind of get away with whatever he wants, and, and it, like, basically, Rick's Cafe American is the, is the Moss Eisley Cantina, it's the most wretched pot of scum and villainy you're ever gonna find on this godforsaken planet, uh, and, and I, I think it's a really nice way to sort of establish this backhanded political tension, uh, swirl that's happening around this one cafe that is sort of uh like like the like the ho- hotel in uh, john wick just sort of like oh, one yeah. place where nothing really goes down the continental yeah. thank you yeah where nothing goes down and everyone understands that like okay yeah you know we would be fighting like we would be arresting people here but we kind of want to just keep things calm mm-hmm. to please rick because yeah. rick's just a rick's just a great guy and he helped me out once i, I it's, yeah. a, it's a nice vibe i find the entire uh appeal of Casablanca to be about this, this sort of ten, this place of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of course that that vibe is you know it, it's immaculate except for that little that little troublemaker Peter Lorre. He he screws things up towards the beginning of this movie, doesn't he? Mm. Oh yeah. And he, and he well he's the one who drops off those uh, those super special visas or whatever that are signed mm-hmm. by some higher up guy that become the the sort of MacGuffin the for the story. Yeah, the MacGuffin tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, just a little great uh, bit part from Peter Lorre, you know, as this like sleazy guy. Because we could just hold him for just an hour, Rick. Just an hour. Uh Isn't he talking about how he's like extorting concentration camp escapees or something like that? Just a real shithead of a guy. Now, I will say this: this does bring up the one. I'm not sure if it's an issue with the film because the film is very focused. But, but maybe I would have liked to see a little bit more, as especially as the film begins to ramp up, a little bit more of a focus on, as we're calling them, the MacGuffin tickets. Because mm-hmm. it feels like the plot largely dissolves into the background. Because ultimately, the, the acts, the things that happen in Casablanca, as I was making a joke about initially, there's not a whole lot that happens on a plot level. Yeah. It's almost all character, but there are moments when like we learn that... Um, the 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 Germans are coming to raid the bar because they're looking for the exit passports and there's that there's that nice little quip of oh they're in Sam's piano the whole time, mm-hmm. but but we learn uh, that we learn that all, actually Rick almost opened the bar late that night because they had to fix all the damage. I think there could have been a little bit more shown because this is this is a very much dialogue heavy film. We could have shown a little bit more. I think to increase the tension in because i think the scene with with peter laurie is incredible because we see the sort of it's the break of that neutrality it, it's the mm-hmm. it's the consequences yeah. to this sort of implicit conversation so i think i would have wanted to see a little bit more of that hmm. yeah perhaps yeah. perhaps uh shall we talk about uh ingrid bergman uh the uh, the other big star big name hollywood star or, or... Ilsa Lund, that's her name in the film. Yeah. Ilsa Lund, name. yeah. Yes. Man, let's just say, Abram, you're saying that, oh, the plot is all about the characters. The plot is about the romance. This movie yes. is about the romance, first and fourfold, about what is going on between Rick and Ilsa, their past. And I think this is a super well-written and satisfying romance. I think even though it doesn't end in our protagonist, in Rick's, like, 
true full benefit, I feel like it's complete. And I'm like, this was the right thing to happen, even if it isn't like the most gratifying like romantic result ever. Sending off um sending off Ilsa and what was what was her husband's name? I forget. Victor. Victor Laszlo. Oh yes, Victor Laszlo. How Victor could I Victor. how could I forget? Mm-hmm. Sending those two off on the plane to Lisbon is I feel like just the natural and like the right thing and like the right tone like the tone shift that really signifies where Rick has started to where he ends the film as a changed man, as a better character. Yeah, I, I definitely personally find the internal conflict of both uh, Rick and Elsa to be the main drive of why I care about this movie almost at all. Like the political stuff, the World War II stuff, the, the French, the Germans, that kind of stuff is like interesting on a base concept political level. But it's when you introduce Rick not feeling like he can trust anyone because he had his heart broken and he's been just like stewing in Casablanca for five years or whatever. Like all these little bits of character information of internal conflict that were getting drip fed to us throughout the film and uh, culminating in Rick making a decision that isn't where you kind of thought he would be tracking towards and that, but then he like has a change of heart. That's, that's where I find most of the compelling stuff of this movie, not necessarily all within the romance between Ilsa and Rick, but between their dynamic and how they've affected each other's lives. And then as you reveal more about Ilsa and you find out that she was married the entire time and just because her husband was in a concentration camp, like there are really interesting personal character moment things that are revealed to us throughout the course of the film that keep it really engaging. They were yep. revealed at the right time too. Mm-hmm. I, yes, think, exactly. I think that's, that's a really critical piece of it because I, I really felt that reveal of, oh, you know what? It's actually because he, she thought Victor was dead. Yes, of course. And, and that creates such an interesting dramatic tension that, that plays at the right time. And the final reveal of of actually me, Rick, I'm not getting on the plane. That comes at the right moment, too. And I really like that because I, I think back to that really middling uh, film we watched, The Apartment, and how mm. it felt <laughs> l- like the end of that felt a little bit too, you know, cliche old Hollywood. And I quit my job and all worked out in the end, right? I, I like this ending a lot. I, I think I think it plays perfectly within the context of the relationships that it still is actually, I think, kind of an empowering note to leave on because it makes Rick look like a badass. Mm-hmm. It also serves a thematic purpose of, oh, us American men, we're going to leave our ladies back home and we're headed off to the war front, which is literally how the movie ends. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it kind of serves a, a really nice multifaceted purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that um, all of our characters end up being sort of um, self-sacrificing to some extent. Rick, ultimately, that you know, that is the that is the end of his character arc. But Victor and Ilsa were ready to stay behind in Casablanca so the other one could leave. And yeah. I think I think that just cements like obviously that there's that romantic tension between Rick and Ilsa, which is you know a, a main crux of the film. But at any at any given point, you're sort of you sort of understand, especially as it comes around at the end. Um, in that confrontation between Ilsa and Rick, where she has the gun on him at, at, at towards the end of it, that um, I lo- I forgot where I was going with thought. this. I lost Wait. my train of thought. Uh, that that you know, that um, Ilsa, you know, she's she's still devoted to Victor to a certain point. She's not going to end up cheating on Victor at any point in the story. She's um using this romantic tension that you know maybe she still has some feelings for for um, for Rick, but. She's using it uh, to further the ends of Victor's, you know, um, he what is he he runs like a newspaper, like a or, or something like he's that. He's basically he's, like a fighting a fighting force guy for the underground resistance. Like yes, a, yeah. everyone looks up to him. He like he's he's an important figure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She she understands the importance of uh, getting Victor out above everything else. Above her emotions. Yeah. And I think exactly. that it's the sacrifices within each of these characters that I think makes the end of the ending so satisfying, especially with Rick. How you watch him throughout the movie and he's never exposing his full self to anyone and he's never fully trusting anyone and he's using this sort of like darkened hiding in the shadows persona to keep himself safe. Uh, and it it isn't until like 20 minutes before the end of the movie that you, I don't think there's a moment particularly where you see it, the switch happen, but where he makes a, a mental switch to I have this ability to sort of stay in the shadows and not let information out and sort of gloss things over, but I'll use that to make everyone think that I'm a sleazy guy and then mm-hmm. at the end actually reveal that I was thinking in a good way this entire or for you know the last 20 minutes of the film. I, I think that there's an interesting reframing of his character arc and him using his sort of darkened abilities to uh, to help help the world and end up sacrificing himself. 
by the way, you always know it's an old movie when people draw their guns like this. They draw them from the elbow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you know it's an old movie. Real close but, to the, real close to the nipple. Mm-hmm. Oh, very close. So I appreciate yeah. we got or two the of those. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, uh, I, I thought I'd bring up a little bit of a little bit of trivia here. I, I, have, I have a fair bit of trivia for Casablanca. Believe it or not, there's quite a bit of uh, people interested in the film and the making of it. Um, uh, the difference between height between Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman changes throughout the film. This is because Humphrey Bogart was actually, I believe, two inches shorter than Ingrid Bergman. Hashtag short king Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this be this because Bogart was actually uh, quite a bit sh- shorter than Bergman. To create the illusion, uh, it was vice versa. Michael Curtis had Bogart stand on boxes instead on pillows in some shots, or had Bergman slouch down. Hmm. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, just, a little, just a little interesting thing. I've got a, I've got a question for you for the trivia master. Yes. Do you happen to have anything about the canceled sequels and remakes of this movie? No, I don't. I I, I've I see. Don't. I I saw those popping up on IMDb, but I, I I didn't know what those were exactly. Well, I actually did a little bit of reading. Um, mm-hmm. I was just curious because what does Hollywood love telling the same stories multiple multiple times? Yeah. So I looked into it. There've actually been a couple canceled sequels in like. Oh yes, I I did read something about this. I didn't put it in, but who? Oh, I, I'll I'll scan back through and find yeah. try and find the. There was a very famous. A uh, female star in the eighties. I don't remember who it was. Let me find it. Okay, you guys keep talking about Casablanca. I just thought that was neat that there's like a there's a reverence. I forget who the director was. It's a big name director who's like I've been given the opportunity to do a remake, but I but Casablanca you gotta leave alone. Okay, yeah. I found I found it. Uh, it was back in the mid two thousands. Madonna wanted to remake the film with her as Ilsa oh. and Ashton Kutcher as Rick. Oh, that would have been boy. an exciting time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, that would have howdy. been the most mid two thousands crapping on Hollywood oh. history thing that you could possibly do. And Abram, this is probably what you were mentioning. She pitched the idea to every studio, uh, but was unanimously rejected by every studio. With one studio executive telling her that the film is deemed untouchable, she eventually scrapped the proposed project. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I I, I just... don't know anything about Madonna as an actor. Or as an actress, not very but good. I, <laughs> very okay. good. Well, then, sure glad this didn't happen. Yeah. Ashton Kutcher, not that good either. I yeah, say. I, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to me, that just that speaks to like this film does hold this like really special place in Hollywood history. It is yeah. a special film for Hollywood, um, beyond just it being a uh, a Best Picture winner. It's mm-hmm. widely, widely known, and mm-hmm. I forget some of the exact box office numbers, but I mean, this is during that time in which Hollywood was pulling in huge ticket sales. And so the you know all the people during in the day of went and I mean saw this movie a ton. This movie did insanely well at the box office. Yeah, by the way, it, it was no you might have heard of him, uh, Francis Truffaut, who said he didn't oh, want to do it. Francis Truffaut, nice. you mean Francois Truffaut? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, Francis. Um, I want to talk his about his known like half cousin. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want to talk about uh, my. Maybe my, I think my my personal favorite character in the film, or the film I gave the most enjoyment from, uh, the most fun from when I watched this, and that is Captain Renault. I love mm-hmm. Captain Renault. Claude uh, Rains, he's, he's amazing. Yeah, Claude Rains is great. I I have I just wrote down a few of my favorite lines from him. I just want to I just want to run through those a second here. Yes, please do because uh, I bet some of them are mine too. He he's talking about um some like uh some military officials who or whatever who are hanging out in Rick's and uh, there's one guy that walks by and he's talking to another guy and he's like uh, he's Italian if it, if he gets a word in it'll be a major Italian victory <laughs> just because the guy's talking so much um, continues the proud tradition of American films really mm. shitting on Italians when comparing them to Germans <laughs> they do this this is a Hollywood thing this is not the only time I've seen this happen it's funny interesting uh he when he's talking to Rick about why he can't return to America. He says, I like to think you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. Not <laughs> a great line. Yeah. Oh, boy. Hang on, hang on. Uh, I, okay, I have more. Okay. My, what about mine? Mine? Oh, sure. Go for it. Go for it, Timo. The Germans, the Germans raid the place, and they're like, they're shutting it down. Everybody out. And then Claude Rain has just like kicked everyone out. You know, hey, you can't be here. It's whatever. It's, I, I'm, I'm putting my foot down. And then the guy comes up to him. He's like, he's like, you're uh, you're winning, sir. You're earning, sir. Yes, and he, and he yes. grabs it and he like <laughs> and like hides it away. Uh, yeah, I get, uh, he <laughs> says, "I'm sh- I'm shocked to find you're, there's gambling going on here." And the guy looks up. You're winning, sir. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> it's a great moment. 
I do uh, think that the dry sense of humor that this film has really works in its yes. favor. It just yes. gives a spark of of life and like cunning suave to all the characters involved here. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much everyone's on the same wavelength uh, humor wise, except for the Nazis because yeah. they don't really do jokes because they're Nazis. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I really find that to be another part of this sort of fun tone that that Casablanca has, even if it is like a place of seedy tension. Everyone's still cracking small jokes, and of course, that's the the interplay of, of humor and drama within within the genres of the time. But um, it it definitely is one of my favorite aspects when you you're just waiting for Claude Rains' character to say something that's a little bit off color but really entertaining. Yeah, uh, my last favorite one is uh, when it, when Rick is pointing the gun at him in, in that in that climactic scene. He says, "Aim from my heart. It's my least vulnerable spot." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That, that's yeah. exactly the kind of thing I'm talking yeah, exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Moment of tension, and this guy just like, well, you know, I got something funny to say. And I think he is endearing because ultimately he is pretty much an antagonist for the entirety of the film. Oh, yeah. well, nearly the entirety of the film. Um, but I think he is endearing nonetheless because he's self-aware about it. I think one of the first lines he has is so- is something about how like, oh yeah, I'm the I'm the most uh, I'm the most wretched and vile uh, police officer you'll, you'll meet in this town or something like that. Like he he's self-aware about the fact that he's corrupt and he he'll do anything for a quick buck or something like that. And you know his alliances lie where his pockets lie essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I feel like within he the film kind of separates him. He's like he's corrupt, but the fact that he he's always just kind of like oh I have to work with the Nazis though. exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's why you're like you're like oh but he's he, you know he will do whatever for a quick buck, but he would if he had the chance not work with the Nazis, and so we're kind of okay mm-hmm. with him in that regard. But he has to because he has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's I I like the moment where he's questioned by the the German general of like. You know, maybe you're waiting for a figure like Laszlo to so you can have a leader to rise up. And and then there's there's sometimes when like he's he he means to say Germany, but he accidentally says Vichy, Vichy France and everything. So I like how they play with his allegiances there a little bit. Mm-hmm. I agree that he is very fun. I I because he, he just feels he he feels out of place in in his humor, and I find that really yeah. endearing. And I also found interesting. I'm not sure if if homophobic is the better is the more accurate term, but there are a lot of uh, like insinuations that Renault is 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 gay th- mm-hmm. th- that are made. And I, and I looked it up. There's a couple of quotes people are talking about. My my favorite, which is which is played as a joke, and it is kind of funny, but it, I think it's also telling about some more subtext being written to his character. Is when uh, Anina comes into the bar. She's she's the one that is trying to get the exit visas. And she goes, I found the quote. Rick says, how did you get in here? You're underage. And she says, I came with Captain Renault. Rick says, I should have known. And then it says, my husband is with me too. And Rick says, he is? Well, Captain Renault is getting broad-minded. Sit down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't really, I don't know if the film is trying to say anything about that. Because there's also references to him being like a man, like a, like a different kind of man. Mm. And... It feels so subtle that it might be completely nothing. And I might just be sure. reading into what were just homophobic jokes from like 80 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. But maybe there's a little bit more operating under the surface in the, than the completely overt World War II America interventionism angle. Sure. Mm. It's certainly possible. Uh, I guess I'll just have to rewatch Casablanca again and try, and try and figure it out. You oh, get, shucks. Oh, darn. You got to bump those numbers up, Tanner. One day you'll catch yeah. up to me. I'll get there eventually. Um, I do have some trivia associated with uh, Dulé Hill uh, or Dulé Wilson, excuse me. Uh, if you if you guys would like to uh, roll into that a second, hit me yeah, with it. Um, yeah. First, tell me who that is. Uh, Sam. Okay, all right. I didn't yes. know that actor's name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dooley Wilson was actually a professional drummer and faked playing the piano. Uh, and to do this, uh, as the music was recorded at the same time as the film, the piano was actually a recording from a, of a performance from John Vincent Plummer, who was playing behind a curtain, but who was positioned in such a way that Dooley could watch and copy his hand movements. Hmm. So instead that- of just... Instead of just like putting the 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 recorded music in after the film, they they did it live and just had Dooley Hill like watching this guy's hands while, while he's hiding behind a curtain. <laughs> That's fun. wild. Yeah, uh, it's just the least efficient possible solution to that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and uh, just a little thing: Dooley Wilson was in fact the only member of the cast that had actually visited Casablanca before the hmm. before the film started filming, uh, and. Uh, in that same sense, we can sort of talk about some some production stuff. Yeah. Um, 
Rick's Cafe was the only set that was built for this film. The only original set built. Uh, the rest of it was uh, mostly uh, recycled sets from Warner Brothers productions uh, because of wartime restrictions on building supplies. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I even though you, you said that, I think the sets in this film are really good. I really yeah, am drawn in. I mean, it's old Hollywood, so they're shooting all of these films on the back, on the lots, and so they have to be darn good sets or else... Because when they're not, it's pretty easy to tell that they're filming where they are. But, I mean, Rick's Cafe is extensive and it changes. You know, the way it looks at night when everyone's in there mm -hmm. is pretty different from when it's when it's just empty. And yet it's still a very visually interesting location. Yeah. I and, and the way that the camera is able to move in and around these sets and they all just feel so full and so lifelike that... I'm, I'm they're just fun to watch fun to look in the background to try to pick out little details in there because it's they're full of them yeah. yeah and especially because of how full Casablanca the place is of just yeah. people with like different goals and different uh, allegiances and stuff which is like feeds back into this sort of seedy weird tone and, and intention that the film has because I think one of the great shots is um, introducing our sequences of shots is introducing us to Rick's cafe and guiding us around different patrons of the cafe who are, who are uh, one guy's trying to sell jewelry. Mm -hmm. There's the guy who's stealing jewelry. There's <laughs> people trying to buy exit visas. There's people gambling. There's people drinking. There's uh, the, the um, his main waiter selling people. No, Rick never drinks with anyone. And yeah. you get a, a nice, just like overview of all the different people that are inhabiting this space. And you end on, the shot of of Rick uh, placing down a, a chess piece or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, and then you cut up to his face, and it's like, there we go. All right, we're yeah. right into this is our to guy. Rick's cafe, yeah. and he's on and he's on top of it all and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I do like how uh, before that, when we get when, when we're sort of uh, still doing our establishing in Casablanca, it juxtaposes like the poor the the poorer people who have immigrated to Casablanca to escape uh, Nazi Germany with like the rich upper crust fancily dressed people in Rick's cafe because uh, that we start out like on the streets the police are you know gunning people down and stuff like that because that guy he there's a thief who steals something and the police shoot the gun him down in the street and then we yeah. cut inside to this lavishly dressed people are drinking martinis and they have uh, pearl necklaces on and stuff like that it's a nice juxtaposition that tells you like there's all sorts of things happening in Casablanca uh and you know but it's all seedy it's a, and it's all under the table and stuff like that yeah see I think I might have wanted to see a little bit more of that sure because yeah. the, those scenes when when something does happen are very exciting and visceral because what's happening unless I was mistaken is at the it's at the beginning they're looking for the people who killed the German couriers who had those exit passports mm -hmm. yeah and then that guy whether he's guilty or not like flashes the papers that are expired and runs away and is just shot in the back in the middle of the street. Yeah. Like, there seems like probably, this... Or, probably just a random guy. Right. Yeah. Or when Peter Lorre, you know, sh just shoots some some German, some either French officers or German soldiers in, mm -hmm. in, in Rick's bar. And then, like, what's really interesting with that scene is how Rick is like, everybody sit back down, it's fine. There's a yeah. couple guys shot in the stomach, another guy's arrested, but just get back to business, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. It's what I was mentioning earlier, but I think you could have made the, the, the tension and the stakes and the sort of the sort of mood of Casablanca a little bit less backgrounded without pulling focus, I think, from the characters and the narrative. And I would have liked to, I think that might have engaged me a little bit more. Because again, I still don't, while I, I really appreciate the film, the writing, the, the production, there's something missing for me. And I don't know if that's maybe what it was. Sure. I, I think what I have sort of realized through discussing this is I, I love this film. I think it's a great film. I can understand why it is so revered. But on, on a very subjective and personal level, I think I like a little more uh, a little more oomph or creativity or plot moments out of, of stories that I enjoy watching. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the character moments here, but the political stuff just doesn't really grab me outside of it's in World War II. World War II is the context. And guess mm -hmm. what? I've seen a lot of World War II movies. <laughs> like, I know the Germans are the bad guys and French was occupied and all this kind of stuff. Casablanca, of course, a unique location in this oeuvre of, of, um, of World War II nonsense. But... Uh, I, I would have wanted there to be a murder that they have to investigate or something like that. Like I, maybe I operate too high on I like my concepts to just be kind of out there. Um, but this film does it, does, it lacks that next step, which I think is okay. And of course, that is something that can people can prefer over, over something that is a little more, you know, Hitchcock over the top nonsense. But um, I, I certainly personally lean much more favorably in one direction. So when it lacks that, I, I do find myself 
struggling to remember a lot of specifics about this film, especially as I distanced myself from watching it. Again, the third time I've watched it and watching it the other night, I realized, oh man, I don't remember almost anything about this movie. Like I honestly had forgotten that, that Ilsa and Rick had had the history in Paris and all that. Of course, that's the main thing about the movie, mm. but the movie does not resonate with me enough to for me to remember it particularly strongly. Though after this conversation and being able to go back and rewatch the Quest episode, which of course I will do, I'm sure I will remember it much more strongly. Um, but yeah, uh, even on the third time, I was like, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. It just keeps being fresh every time you watch it, Tucker. You get to, you get to watch the movie well, for the first time every time. Well, Tucker, uh, I guess you could call me the Rick uh, of this sort of uh, of these plot devices because I like both. Okay, uh, I'm neutral. I don't I don't stick my neck out for no genre. All right. Uh, but yeah, uh, but Tucker, speaking of, you know, you remembering certain aspects of the film, I teased that this film, that that, that Casablanca has one of my, mav- my favorite movie scenes of all time. And I'm about to talk, I'm going to talk about that right now. Okay. I, one of my favorites of all time, I don't have a definitive ranking or anything like that, so I don't have a number associated with this, but it's one that I got all the goosebumps for the first time when I watched it in the Paramount Theater and got a, a, a an aftershock of goosebumps when I watched it this time is the singing scene in Rick in Rick's cafe. Oh, when yeah. all the not when all the Nazis start singing, um they sing Die Wacht uh, am Rhein. I don't know what that means in German, but it's the song that they sing. And then uh, the all the resident or all the patrons of, of, of Rick's cafe start singing uh Oh boy, this is oh, French. Say this in French. This is French, and I'm worse at that. La Mercedes, I believe. Uh, and you know, and it's the, it's they they sort of start. Or Rick sort of gives a nod to uh, to Sam to start playing it, and Sam's like, "Are you sure? The, the, these guys are like the occupying force here. We're we gonna like stamp all over their their Nazi nationalist song, and then." All the patrons of Rick's Bar join it, and there's people with tears in their eyes as they're singing. Real tears, by the way, because um, many of the actors who play, or sorry, oh, did I not? Uh, many of the actors in this were actually, um, you know, uh, European refugees. Uh, many of the extras, I should, I guess, I should say, were uh, European refugees who had escaped Nazi Germany. So this is a very emotional scene for them to, for them to um, act out, and it mm-hmm. comes across. It is infinitely power palpable and powerful to me the emotion that is present with all these people singing this french song of resistance uh, overpowering these like half a dozen nazi guards and, and captains who are here it is a beautiful moment that that really underlines what the film is saying about like fighting back against uh the german the german force in world war ii mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think that scene is great. One my one of my like unexpected favorite bits in the movie is when they go to the Blue Parrot with Signor Signor Ferrari, the yes. other the other um uh cafe bar uh, owner yeah. in town. The guy with the fez. The guy with the fez. <laughs> oh, I love that guy. He's always like he's like hmm. <laughs> and yes. and just that scene is very different and I mean, yeah, it's like it's I guess it's kind of like orientalist. But it's just so cool and the way that the the film it, it's a nice like reprieve from our we were pretty consistent action in Rick's cafe, but then we go to the Blue Parrot and it's like this very different, very um, just interesting location. And I, I the dialogue and the stuff and the like the plot that happens in that scene is fun. And I think that the some of the the lines in it are are personal favorites of mine. I just really like the Blue Parrot scene. It's almost like only it's kind of random in the film, but. I dig it, man. The one thing that I want to talk about, because I, I, I think I'm pretty much, I've pretty much gone through everything, but is, yeah. is the score and the way this film uses music, especially yeah. with As Time Goes By. Of course, this is mm-hmm. the song from Casablanca. Oh, yeah, and, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> and by the way, they really let you know that. It's a, it's a good song. It's a mm-hmm. classic song. But one thing I never noticed until this watch was how um, the, the main motif of As Time Goes By is played in the score for emotional moments, both for Rick and for Ilsa. It's not diegetic. It's not being played by Sam. It's not someone humming it. It's worked into the orchestral score of the film and kind of keeps everything uniform and, and makes you realize on sort of an external filmic level of this this song is very important to them. And this the score is swelling as they're feeling an emotion. And guess what? The score is using it as time goes by for its emotional beats. And I think that's a really nice harmony of, mm-hmm. of uh, its its filmic elements. Sure, yeah. 
Um, if we're if we're going through miscellaneous stuff that we didn't bring up, um, I love the shot of I think it's the first night uh, after Ilsa shows up and Rick's cafe is shut down when it's Rick sitting alone in the bar and he has like a bottle of scotch or whatever with him and the shadows in that scene. I mean, molto bene, perfect use of shadows in that black and white cinematography. Speaking of, I I almost nearly forgot. Uh, we need to go through the wins and noms of this film. Of course we do. It's right, a little, it's a little yeah. rusty. We're getting back into quest, the regular old quest here in a second. So obviously, this film won best picture. Uh, it also won best director for Michael Curtis. Uh, best screenplay, uh, written by Julius J. Epstein, Philip G. Epstein, and Howard Koch. Um, the uh, Humphrey Bogart was nominated for Best Lead Actor. Claude Rains was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He is the one who plays Captain Renault. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film was nominated for Best Black and White Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. Fantastic. All deserved. Yeah. All, all very well deserved. Any other miscellaneous points from the other two schmucks over there? Speaking of scores... Oh, oh let's, let's my hit it. God. Let's do it. Let's do this scoring thing. Man, oh, we get to use the big list again. Oh, that's nice. We used it last week. Yeah, I know, but we get to use it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just every week you're suddenly reinvigorated. Oh, yes, yes, I love this gigantic list spreadsheet of our list. list. (laughs) This is the proper return to regular quest, though. We we should should celebrate for a moment. Mm -hmm. We're out of Mm -hmm. Oscar season. We are. We're done with that. Thank God. It's never not Oscar season on quest, though. Oh, yeah. All right, I've got my number punched in. I can see some of you trying to put it in there, but uh, do you have it ready? Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. Okay. Yes. Three, two, one, go. Whoa. Wowie zowie, look at this. Pretty, pretty close across the board. Our average score for Casablanca is, well, it's kind of a tricky one. The more decimal points I give it, the the more it changes. (laughs) Um, Because of rounding, rounding gives it a 9.0 um and maybe we can give it in go look into the decimal points if we need to but the point round we do usually round to one decimal point yeah Um, oh i guess that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. the so so we're following the scientific method here we're legitimate um this is tricky yeah i know yes the point Mm. breakdown before we figure out exactly where it goes is starting at the top tanner gave it a 9.6 i gave it a 9.0 Abram gave it an 8.7, and Tucker gave it an 8.6. So you can see that where we all pretty much lie in the same area about this film. Mm-hmm. There's a little minor mm-hmm. point differences here and there. Now, a 9.0 versus an 8.975. Oh, man, it's going to shoot up there at least mm-hmm. in towards 10th and 11th place, basically, right? We're going to have to debate yes. between American Beauty and The Shape of Water. What does this film do to you guys compared to those two other films? So I suppose uh, we're going to start, start at the bottom, the, the lower one right now, Shape of Water. Yes. So uh, who would put this above Shape of Water? Oh, easily. Okay, okay. well, I'm going to vote there. there. So okay. now we've got the next one. Above American I, Beauty. I, American I can't... Ge- I can't, no, put I can't this put it above, above American. American. I can't. I can't either. I will. Oh. I want to put it above American Beauty, but I think that was easy. That's yep, it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this film, Casablanca from 1942, is going to go in between American Beauty and The Shape of Water at place number 11. So a v- remarkably high-scoring place on our list. 11 out of let's get the entire number 64. So or so. Wow. Yeah. Very, uh, very yeah. much up there on the top. Uh, yeah. Casablanca. Hashtag <laughs> just did that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Casablanca just happened. <laughs> well, you know what they say about this film. It's a, it's a pretty classic one. So, I'm, you know, even though it's, it's, I'm happy it's pretty far up there, not necessarily super surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it feels appropriate. Like I said at the beginning, I left the film going, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And I, if I were to rate this only on the most subjective level, I'd probably knock it down a full point, maybe mm. a point and a half. But I do just think it is, it's hard to poke holes in what Casablanca is. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it's like my personal disconnect, maybe, maybe my want for more action or maybe more centralized, centralized plot focus that keeps it from the, the, the perfect 10 that I think it's, it's filmmaking might suggest. So I'm happy with this placement, even yeah. though it should be below shape of water. But yeah. All right, all right, all right. 
Um, you guys yeah. got anything more, to, or should we oh, venture? Oh no! Wait. On? Oh, what? I thought you said, do we want Shape of Water to go above this? I would not put this above Shape of Water. <laughs> uh oh. Wait, hold that. on. Can we rethink that? <laughs> yes. We have to. Because yeah, I, no. that's, that's a deadlock. That's a deadlock oh, for Shape of Water. No. Okay, I, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry to add a monkey wrench into this. That makes sense in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, I thought Abram liked The Shape of Water. <laughs> <laughs> Although we all like all these movies, but no, yes, but I would put this below both American Beauty and The Shape of Water. So, uh, oh. Anyone oh. want to make a, a case? I mean, I guess if I'm throwing a monkey wrench in it, um, I, I think this film is obviously very important. I think it being reflected just highly in our list and this uh, across the board highly rated is obviously fantastic um but in my in my mind i do think that doing something slightly more exciting and, and inventive with film which both um shape of water and american beauty do they have uh, more biting commentary they i think they have stronger themes i do think they have more memorable characters I, I think that a lot of this film in my mind just sits as iconic hollywood status but not quite above that like it is the bar it's it's it I will, it's a high bar but it's mm -hmm. a bar of quality I, but in my mind i want i want these the highest films on my list to do something past that bar um and, and i don't think casablanca necessarily does for me sure yeah i mean i i, I mean it's all i think it's all a variance of degrees because you know and i'm not saying that you're saying this but obviously casablanca can't do Fishman sex or yeah. uh you know uh a a a, a pedophilic uh a Lester Burnham in in American Beauty, yeah. um, but yeah, and but I think it's so masterful in what it does in uh, capturing classical Hollywood uh, cinema, little uh, classical Hollywood cinema, that I think I, I think it is reflective of that era of filmmaking, uh, and it does everything in it to the nth degree. That uh, I I think that I think reflecting it in our list is is certainly uh it's it's fine by me i mean i i would still put it below american beauty because uh i think the themes of that movie are so incredibly strong that it it, it bumps it up uh, above casablanca for me but um yeah i guess i guess um i would say that there's nothing in shape of water that really emotionally gets me like that one scene in rick's cafe mm, um, interesting and uh, no singular scene that that really does that, I guess, because you know, I, and like you said, Tucker, we all we all like all of these movies up here, yeah. and that's why it's so tough to decide between them. Um, well, okay, well <laughs> for some you. of us it is. For some of us it is. Um, but yeah, I, I I would put Casablanca above The Shape of Water, below American Beauty. I I, I would for, agree with Tanner. Um, I think the the for me like the the context of this film and the way that like its message is so tied to when it was made and to think about it as a during the it's it's a world war ii film but it's a during the world war ii film and so i i think you can't understate like this message that it's saying like we have to go and we have to deal with this horrible horrible thing that's happening over in europe americans we have to go do that and that that message is so is is like so strong in the film but i also i think that it's heavy-handed because it kind of needs to be but it's not it's not overplayed as a message. It's not too much. And it's it's in Absolutely. my face when it needs to be. And it's behind, you know, we're, we're dealing with this character drama romance between, but while we're not focusing on this like life and death struggle against the Nazis. And so for me, like taking that context as, at least when I was watching it this time and being like, oh yeah, this film is like, it really has a lot to say and it's very i think it's very strongly said and i appreciate that and that's kind of why i put it above shape of water in that it is important it beyond just film it's a historical important text sure yeah yeah so now that you guys have said that my vote hasn't changed uh, yeah, exactly. shape of water. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for, for me you guys make incredibly salient points with the context and, and about the sort of the sort of raw i think filmic success that, that Casablanca is but I think that great scripts and and engaging important themes are are in great supply at the top of our list mm. and, and so I think about sort of 
the mood of these films and there's a very strong mood to to the shape of water the ways that the production design come together with the score and come together with the cinematography and and the narrative and it's in its invention there's a mood to that film and there is here too but it does feel a little bit stiffer it it feels Mm. again as you're saying archetypically old hollywood yeah but just because it is the archetype of that era doesn't necessarily my opinion make it better than something that feels more creatively distinct i think about Let's bring it to my wheelhouse for a, sec- for a second. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh Lord. The What's Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, <laughs> widely considered to be one of, if not the best games of all time. Mm-hmm. However, that's contextualized within the fact that for its time, for its series, it is, it is, it's, icon- it's, it's iconic. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been surpassed. Yeah. Not just because things beyond it ha- are more technically capable, but because they have taken these tenets of incredible screenwriting and score and everything and done something that feels a bit more distinct. And so for me, I don't think I generally take historical precedent into such strong account because something like uh, it happened one night. No, I don't think I think that movie is boring. What's <laughs> the war? The war one from 1930. All quiet on the Western Front. All quiet on the Western Front. Old Hollywood films can feel very visceral and have real mood to them. And I think that this one doesn't quite have that. So that's mm. why I would put it below both the others. I, I think what I pulled out of that and I think is, is a crystallization of what I was trying to say earlier is Shape of Water does something that you cannot see anywhere else in, in film, frankly. I mean, it does something so distinct with Guillermo del Toro's storytelling and style that Casablanca, it's not as unique. It, like, frankly, it, you can find this kind of, of storytelling, this kind of acting, this kind of cinematography, this kind of set design in most old Hollywood movies. Of course, the best of the best is is this, but you can find these elements elsewhere. You cannot find any of the elements that Guillermo del Toro does in almost anything else except for maybe his own work, but then I would say that Shape of Water is the pinnacle of that. So, Pacific Rim. Yeah. (laughs) What the heck did you say? uh, Under his breath, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, Timo, you have to remind me, do we usually settle, after we've come to a stalemate here, do we settle this by going to the decimal points? Or to the comments. We, we usually go to the comments. We usually like go to the, the comments. comments. We can think mm. about the decimal does anyone points. Want to, does anyone want to change their mind? Well, you see, here's a bit of a problem because Casablanca and The Shape of Water have the same decimal points all the way I out see. to three decimal points. Okay. All right. All right. So unless somebody budges, it's up to the audience. I mean, I think I, I don't think there's actually like a huge difference between these two placements. So maybe I could budge and we could throw it down below Shape of Water for the sake budge, of... Budge, budge, budge. I, I was finality. also going to say, uh, you guys were making great arguments for The Shape of Water. And obviously, I love both of these films. And I, I, still, I still rated Casablanca higher, but... You know, it's a it's 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 tenth and eleventh place. You know, this is the upper upper echelon, the top sixth of this list. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I Timo, would you would you like to take the we're L unanimous. on this one, or would you let me too? No, oh, yeah, we all wanted to go below. No, 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 no. because Tanner no, and I are only the... half in on this switch. Okay, and together yeah. we full. make one full, <laughs> but true. then there's one full missing that wasn't half in, that wasn't in on it. So it's not you unanimous. Leave it to the audience. Yeah, that's in your power to do. No, I don't want to leave it to the audience. We throw, We've done we throw that too to, much recently. Yeah, yes. we throw it to the audience too much. They've had uh, the power they've, go to their they've heads. had their yeah. bones. <laughs> true, we will, true. We will decide yeah. the fate of this and I film. Think, you know, I think that since we're on the fence so much, I think Timo, you're up. What, what should we do here? You or I going to you, you and I going to bump down? Let's bump down um, to put it below the uh, below the shape of water to go at um, number twelfth place. So okay. sandwiched That's not really between. High. American Beauty in the Shape of Water, but between The Shape of Water and The Departed. So, mm. in very good company. Uh, in I'd, very like the good BLB, company. I'd like the BLB stenographers to note that I did not bump it down a place Timo did. I'd like that to be on the record. <laughs> well, how about we don't round it and put it below The Departed, too? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Let's end this episode already. Tucker, what are we watching next week? Well, oh, how we, 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 we know what we're watching next week, Tanner. Holy moly. My. God. Okay, uh, I have to sing uh, the entirety of As Time Goes yeah, By for this wheel spin. You know what, T- Timo? Spin it again. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes a squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Oh! And the number is two, so pretty recent. Not the most recent ever, um, because... We've got a we've got a couple of, of, of more recent than like uh, uh-huh. two years ago. 
So I don't did really you see the way he's dancing. It's Spider-Man three. We did it, folks. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> what movie are we going to be talking about Spider-Man next week, 3. Tucker? Now, now, Tucker, what are we watching next week? Yes, that was what I was about to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing my little dance, but that's because uh, it could be either one of, well, it couldn't be either one of two movies, but the mo- two most recent films are two of uh, my favorite Best Picture winners. So I would have been happy with either of them. Uh, but, but I think this is going to be the more, possibly the more interesting one to talk about because I don't think that either of you, any of you have seen this movie. Uh, the <gasps> 2011 Best uh, yeah. Picture winner, which is, is one that kind of has dropped out of larger conversation, but I watched it a few years ago and it... Got a five stars for me, so we'll see how that holds up on a on a rewatch. But um, oh my God, this director <laughs> has a name and a half, Michelle Azanavikius, uh, sure. starring Jean Dujardin and Berenice Bejo. Uh, we're watching The Artist, which is available on Netflix. Interesting. Hmm. Gotta love this movie so much. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is an odd one because you know I've never looked at the cast or the director of this, but this isn't like your typical American best picture one. This is all the way back from 2011. This is a pre-Parasite world, and we're getting like we're getting like not American stars winning this. This is a silent film, correct? Mm-hmm. And black and white. Very interesting. I'm very excited to watch this. Okay. This, this gives yeah. me Mank vibes. Uh oh. Uh oh. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Well. <laughs> oh, we shall Mank see. Was silent. <laughs> That's true. I, I wish it would have been. Should have been. Man, Boom. got him. <laughs> Screw you, Jack Fincher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's rolling in his grave. I'm sorry, David. David, I love you. Please forgive. I know you watch. I know you're a fan of the show, David Fincher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say Nobody that. Nobody can test that. Nobody can test that in the episode. <laughs> Next week, we will be talking about the artist from 2011. Let's see if I can get this name. Directed by Michelle Hazanavicius. Reading it, reading yeah. is reading comprehension and speaking ability are my top two skills. So absolutely, we will talk about this film next time. Thank you for joining me in discussion of Casablanca. You know, we'll always have quest, don't won't we? Nice. All, All right. right. Until next time. Peace. <laughs>